Luke chapter 19. And before we get actually into the passage, I'll just share with you guys a, a quick story. So, one of the most popular songs in, uh, you know, or most popular, most recognized songs in human history is uh, Amazing Grace. Um, now, you know, people are pretty familiar with either the song, the words, or even the tune, at the least, Amazing Grace, but now many people might not know about the person who wrote the song, you know, John Newton. Um, probably, you know, very, you know, know little about him or not much or know nothing about John Newton, the man. But the life of John Newton is, is something, it sounds like something pulled, pulled straight out of a movie, you know. Uh, his life had so many uh, twists and turns, ups and downs, successes and failures. And uh, as a matter of fact, he actually wrote an autobiography and it became an immediate bestseller. I mean, that's how much his life was uh, so, so attractive, you know. Uh, about him. And so I'll just go through just real quick kind of bullet points through his life. I'm not going to go, you know, here, give you guys a whole, you know, biography about, about the man, but just kind of, you know, focus on about God's grace in this man's life. So uh, he was born in 1725 in England, London, England. And actually his mother died just before his seventh birthday. Now he didn't have a close, let's say, intimate uh, relationship with his father. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a hard relationship that he had with his father, but his father did love him, and he did love his father, but there just wasn't much of, uh, uh, let's say, emotion or closeness between the two. But his father did help him try to find jobs in the maritime seafaring business, because that's uh, where the elder of Newton, that's where he had his jobs in um, finances. So uh, John Newton uh, went into maritime activity, uh, seafaring, and he was actually known as a very rebellious, uh, very uh, um, a bad kid. <laughs> you know, you know, very rough with his words. He he lived a pretty crazy life. He didn't like authority. Uh, I, I, he always went on these uh, sexual adventures. Uh, just everything you would think about when it comes to just a seafaring life. As he got older, at the age of eighteen, uh, he was actually impressed, which just means you were kind of kidnapped into the Royal Navy. We're talking about England here, British, the Royal Navy. So he was kind of kidnapped into the British Navy to serve. Come to find out, he wasn't an ideal midshipman, of course, you know, because he was rebellious. He didn't like authority, he liked doing things his own way. Uh, make a long story short, just with a series of events. He winds up being uh, enslaved on West Africa. You know, it's, it's ironic. He winds up becoming enslaved in West Africa. For a couple of years, and then his son, and then his father, actually, sends out a, a rescue party to try to find his son, find John, John Newton. Eventually, this rescue party eventually finds John Newton, they rescue him, they take him back to England. And on the way back to England, they actually encounter a very uh, uh, rough storm. It's so rough, as a matter of fact, that everybody on board thinks that they're going to lose their life. Um, through that event, John this reactively calls out to God, saying, God, save me, right? And uh, he actually thinks about it. It's like, why am I calling out to God? You know, I have no love for God. I have no respect for him. Um, why am I calling out to God for him to save me in this storm? Eventually, uh, they, get, uh, they survive the storm. They make it back to England. And that just started a series of events where he starts saying, hey, you know, let me pursue this guy. Let me try to find out more about him. Let me start reading the Bible, etc. I find more about God. He eventually gives his life over to Christ, becomes a Christian, follows God, 
But also during this time period, he uh, is uh, very active in the slave trade. Actually, he spends nine years in the slave trade. He actually goes back and forth purchasing, transporting, and then selling slaves over a nine-year period. Then eventually, you know, he feels convicted about what he's doing. And he totally turns his life. As a matter of fact, he becomes a pastor. He becomes a pastor of a church, a small church in Olney, England. And uh, he serves his congregation there. He actually writes many hymns and songs there as well. As he becomes a mentor, he becomes a mentor to a guy named William Wilberforce. And he's a leader there in Parliament in the uh, England uh, political system there. Actually, both of them are very staunch abolitionists fighting against the slave trade. And eventually, thankfully, John Newton lives to see the day where uh, slavery becomes abolished in the English Empire. Now, that's just a short synopsis, and you can find he realized that, man, it sounds like it's a movie, straight out of a movie, just his life. Those are just some, some of the points, and there's many more things that happen in his life. But John Newton was very aware of his past. He was very aware of the sins that he had committed in his life. But even more than his big sins, he was more aware of the large God, the big God that he served, and the grace that he has. No matter his shortcomings, he knew that God's grace was so much more. That's why we, who follow and place our faith in Christ, and that's why he, John Newton, can confidently say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. How great it is that we serve a loving and gracious God, who's bigger than our faults, bigger than our failures, past, present, and future. See, without God's grace, we would all be lost. No man can earn God's favor. With that in mind, let me read this passage in Luke 19, starting with verse 1. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho, that was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was a small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into, the house, in, into be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I, if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And in this passage, we kind of clearly see Jesus Christ being the initiator of the good news. It's kind of bookend in this passage, and it starts with Jesus intentionally going to Jericho. And he's going there for a reason. We find out he's going there to meet a man named Zacchaeus. But also at the end, it says that for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So we see Jesus Christ being the initiator throughout this passage. It's booked in with those two statements. 
Now, the author, Luke, he goes into great detail painting the picture of Zacchaeus. He kind of describes Zacchaeus in a number of different ways. Number one, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. Number two, Zacchaeus is rich. Zacchaeus is also short. And he's a sinner. Now, let me just uh, unpack that just a little bit. So, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. Now, during this time period, uh, uh, the people of Israel, the Jews, they are under a Roman occupation. Uh, Rome is in control of their territory, what we now call the Holy Lands, right? So in order to collect taxes from the subjects, Rome would have people to go out and collect taxes, tax collectors. Now, these tax collectors typically were not paid by the Roman government, right? So in order for the tax collectors to get paid, they actually pulled in, received more than what was required from the people. The Roman government, the governors, gave them that authority to pull in how much money you want. So let's just say, just for example, let's say uh, uh, you owe $100 in taxes, right? But me, the tax collector, I decide to take $200 from you because I'm going to pull the $100 that you owe, and on top of that, the other $100 goes to me. I have that authority. So you kind of get the idea that people did not really look kindly, fondly upon tax collectors. Uh, it was open corruption. Everybody knew that what they did was corrupt and was accepted, right? Not only that, but Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So that means he was the head of other tax collectors, right? So other tax collectors that he was in charge of would give, give him money. So, the, so this guy has lots of money, right? Uh, that goes into the description that he's rich. It's kind of re-emphasizing that this guy has money. Also understand this, that under Roman you know, occupation, uh, uh, as a tax collector, Zacchaeus was in alignment with the Roman Empire, right? And so, as a Jew, you would look for, look at this guy and say, hey, Zacchaeus, he's a sellout. <laughs> he's selling out his own people to the Roman government. Not only does he tax, a, a collect money illegally, or I guess legally, but just unfairly from us, then also he's in alignment with the Roman government. He's a sellout. That goes into, he's a sinner, <laughs> you know? He, he's a thief. He acts corruptly. And he's selling out our people. Those are the descriptors given to Zacchaeus. Kind of paints the picture of the man that we're dealing with. But Zacchaeus, he really wants to see and hear Jesus. Now, this passage doesn't really go into why that's the case. You know, it could be a number of different reasons. It could be that, you know, Zacchaeus heard that a well-respected rabbi is going to be in town. So I got to go hear what he's going to say. Or, you know, what is, what is up with this miracle worker that I hear? He heals people. I kind of want to see what he's going to do. Why are people in such a frenzy about Jesus? Wherever he goes, there are crowds. Or Zacchaeus may have heard a message of the gospel, salvation, grace, and he wanted to hear more about it. Now, again, this passage does not go into detail why Zacchaeus wants to hear from Jesus. But... <laughs> Me personally, kind of leaning more towards, you probably heard some sort of message of salvation. You probably heard, heard a message of grace. And when you see this person, Jesus, in person, because actually when Jesus arrives in the scene, we'll get here shortly, uh, Jesus doesn't even talk about the gospel. He doesn't even share the gospel. All, all Jesus says is that, hey, 
I will stay at your place tonight. Then we see later, uh, Zacchaeus responding uh, from, from what we can see uh, to the grace that's been shown, shown to him. So it's not like Jesus even laid out the path to salvation. So likely, again, it's not explicit in this passage, but likely you probably heard it previously. But what is important is that no matter what the reason Zacchaeus went to go hear Jesus, what we do know for sure is that Jesus himself wanted to see Zacchaeus. Jesus wanted to meet with Zacchaeus. Actually, Jesus calls Zacchaeus out by name. <laughs> now, we don't know if that's through his uh, 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 divine powers that he was able to uh, uh, you know, recall or say his name, or did he just hear his name from the crowd? But Jesus calls him by name. He says that he must stay at his place. He must stay at his place for the night and dine with him. And that catches every, everybody off guard. It catches everybody by surprise. It catches Zacchaeus by surprise because Zacchaeus, he didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> he didn't expect Jesus to call him out by name, say, hey, i got to stay at your place. It catches the crowd by surprise. Is I'm sure, I'm sure they were like, why would this well-respected, why would this morally right teacher stay at this rich sellout, this corrupt guy, this tax collector? I mean, Zacchaeus, of all people, why should he have the honor for Jesus spending time with him? And Jesus, of all people, he should have known that this guy's a sinner. Why are you spending time with him? But Jesus does know that he's a sinner, right? Eric, please understand this. Jesus did not come to heal the healthy. Jesus did not come to save the strong. He came to save sinners. It's important for us to recognize that, not only with our own lives, but in the life of others. Jesus did not come to heal the healthy. Jesus did not come to save the strong. He came to save Sinners. And Zacchaeus' response to such overwhelming grace is nothing short of ideal, right? In Luke chapter 18, we kind of read the story about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus wanting salvation, right? And he, res- he responds in the wrong manner. He, he rejects Jesus, following Jesus. He rejects uh, 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 giving his life over to him. He kind of wants to hold on to his riches. But we see, the, we see Zacchaeus here. He gladly, he gladly gives his riches to the poor. And he does it with joy. And he wants to bring justice to those he's wronged. So we know that he's responding to the gospel here. We see the fruit of salvation in his life, in his heart, in his reaction. Now what's going to be kind of interesting is that I know that you guys have been going in this church through a series of, you know, um, uh, encounters with Jesus, with him sharing the gospel, uh, people responding just to encourage you and sharing the gospel and, and reaching out to others. It's funny, like in this passage, I've already mentioned, Jesus doesn't even talk about the gospel, so, so what are we going to talk about right now, right? <laughs> How do we apply this to our own lives and, and reaching the lost and sharing the gospel? Well, although it's not in your face explicit, <laughs> some principles to apply, it's Definitely here. Definitely here within this passage. If you don't hear anything else, please understand and hear this. As followers of Christ, we are to take the initiative to share the grace of the gospel. 
As followers of Christ, we are to take the initiative to share the grace of the gospel. So I'm going to go through just a few do not do's, all right, or do not, and then a couple of do's as you share the gospel. So we'll start with some things not to do in sharing the gospel that we're just pulling from this passage from Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. All right, the first is this. Do not, do not make sin a barrier to Christ. Do not make sin a barrier to Christ. Jesus actually does an, the opposite thing here. Jesus sin as an invitation to himself. The crowd saw this said as Zacchaeus, him being a chief tax collector, him being a sellout, him being a thief. They used that as a barrier for him to be accepted or even approach God, to approach Jesus Christ. You know, most people in our lives, you know, and even ourselves, we're aware of our fantastic failures in life, right? Most of the time. And some people are totally unaware. But most of the time, we are aware of our fantastic failures in life, right? We are aware of our sin. What people need when they hear the gospel is that they need hope from judgment. They need hope from the judgment of God. That's what Jesus Christ here does with Zacchaeus. You know, where I uh, live uh, in uh, West Baltimore, uh, there's a lot of uh, drug activity. My, me and my wife, our, our family, we intentionally live where we live in West Baltimore. There's a lot of drug activity, violence, and things of that nature on our block. And uh, some of the neighbors, uh, uh, rightfully so, are upset, right? They're upset about the violence, the shooting, the drug activity, things of that nature, right? And, uh, you, know, you know, they'll quickly say, hey, you know, you know, these drug dealers, they need to be out of the city. They need to be locked up. Um, and, and I understand that, right? You know, there's, there's aspect of justice here, right? But then, you know, they'll also say that, hey, uh, you know, they, they've had their chance. They don't need God. Uh, they just need to be moved out. You know, he's stripped away, whatever case they be. Part of that, I understand. All right, we get that. Yeah, we, we want a better life in this world for us, want safety for our kids, etc. Then also, are we also saying that uh, certain people in this world do not deserve God, that they do not deserve a second chance, that they do not deserve salvation because of what they have done in their life? Do not, in sharing the gospel, do not use sin as a barrier to God. You sin as an invitation. The next thing is, do not minimize sin. Zacchaeus is well aware of what he has done in his life. He is well aware that he's a thief. You know, how bad would it be if Jesus Christ came by and said, Hey, I know, I know what you've done, but it's really not that bad. What you've done is really not that bad. You see, whenever we minimize sin, we minimize the need for a Savior. Please understand that. Whenever we minimize sin, make light of it, gloss over it, in effect, we minimize, gloss over it, make light of a Savior. Just use this analogy just with cancer. So a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. Now, just imagine if I or you would have said, hey, uh, okay, thanks for telling me. Uh, 
I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> I'm not going to go through chemo treatment. I'm not going to go through radiation. Whatever case it be, however that cancer is treated, it's actually not that bad. It's not as dire as the doctor says it is. Or if the doctor himself, herself, would have said, hey, this cancer that you have is not that bad. Just, just go home, live your normal life. Yeah, you'll be dead. <laughs> A few months, years, etc., right? And minimizing sin. We are minimizing the solution. Do not gloss over sin and speaking into people's lives and sharing the gospel. Right? You're doing no one a favor when you do that. So number one, do not make sin a barrier. Number two, do not minimize sin. But then number three, do not proclaim salvation by works. And just imagine, as Jesus is uh, looking at Zacchaeus, everything's like, you know, going forth, as, as we've read. And the crowd kind of steps in, you know, just imagine, they would have said, hey, actually, before Zacchaeus, before you go over to Jesus, you need to clean up your life. You need to clean up your life before you encounter Jesus. Or you need to right your wrongs before you come to Christ. Or you have to do good in order to be accepted by God. All of those are examples of salvation by works. That's not the gospel. The gospel is salvation by grace, through faith, right? There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. That's the core concept of the gospel. We have fallen. We are sinful. We are sinners. We were made to be perfect reflection, perfect images of God himself. But we've been marred through the sin of Adam. We've been marred by our own sin. So there's nothing that we can do to earn God's salvation. But God did not leave us in the pits of despair. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to not only live the life that we should have lived in perfect reflection of God himself, but also Jesus Christ on the cross, he paid the ultimate penalty of sin on our behalf. So really, to be accepted by God is just to hold on to the work of Christ, not your own work. Grab a hold of the work of Christ and say that the work of Christ is enough. My work is nothing in comparison. That is the good news of salvation. That is the good news of the gospel. So please do not proclaim Salvation by works. So just go over. Number one, do not make sin a barrier to Christ. Number two, do not minimize sin. Number three, do not proclaim salvation by works. But this is what you should do. And and I don't mean should as in uh, uh, this is the equation. So let me rephrase it this way. This is what you should consider doing. All right, This is what you should consider doing in sharing the gospel that we kind of see in this passage. Number one, be hospitable. Be hospitable. Now, I know Jesus invited himself over to somebody's house, right? We don't really equate that with being hospitable. Hey, let me come over to your house tonight, right? What Jesus Christ is doing is that he is honoring and loving someone who's despised by the world, right? He's loving and honoring someone who's despised through the world through recognizing them giving them attention, giving them honor. And doing that, 
actually allows the person to recognize and respond to God. So, back to uh, uh, some of the, uh, so many stories, but one of the stories that uh, uh, we've done in the past with uh, living in, in West Baltimore. So, my wife and I, some of the drug dealers, we uh, invite them over for dinner at our house, right? And so, just, just one time, we had about eight or so uh, dealers at our table, and uh, I'm, Becca is more formal. My wife, she's very formal and uh, kind of like the silverware and stuff like that. I'm more like, hey, let's just have paper plates, cups, and just throw it all away. I, I don't like washing dishes. I don't like doing certain things, right? Uh, but yeah, she's laying out the uh, silverware in the right place, you know, with the fork, knife, spoon, and cup, and right nap in the right position. I'm like, these guys, they don't care, right? <laughs> uh, uh, let's just have dinner. And, and, and like, not only on top of that, but, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of like formally passing, you know, you know, the food around in the right direction and things of that nature. But it was a great time. It was a great time hanging out with these guys because they were like, yeah, I've never experienced this before. Uh, I never had dinner at a table like this. Uh, we were sitting around, passing food around, having conversations. Uh, but also, <laughs> we've received feedback with, hey, you know, from other people, not the goats themselves, but just from you know, other people, either neighbors or other people who hear the story. Uh, like, what are you doing having dinner with drug dealers? Like, like, don't you know who they are? Don't you know what they're involved with? Uh, why are you doing that? Uh, you shouldn't be doing that. But the idea is that, that if you are hospitable to people, now, you don't have to take this quote-unquote extreme example, but being hospitable to other people, what you're doing is you're showing them grace and kindness that probably most of the time they do not experience. And receiving that grace and receiving that kindness, that hospitality, that may, that may open up your eyes to God, to Jesus Christ in you. Right? Now also, caveat, right? Just please understand that. Couple of things. I feel like you know, after using an example like that, after I did, you know, there are a couple of caveats. Uh, uh, be wise in what you do. All right. <laughs> but then also number two, uh, understand that there's the fear of man there that, that, that lurks in the background too, because you know we all come across, let's say, uh, homeless people or certain people that really looks like they're in need, and, and we want to reach out. But in the back of our minds, <laughs> we have, what do people think if I step out and talk to this person? What will people think if I actually step out and uh, I, I give this person food or, or, or just spend time, just a few minutes, just talking with them, conversing with them? People will think, hey, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> Understand that, there, that there's a fear of man that we all are all aware of that, that, that kind of hinders us from being Christ to other people. Uh, I want to encourage you just to go with the example of Christ. I fear God or a fearing man. But anyways, consider doing, number one, be hospitable. Number two, consider showing the value of Christ. You know, with uh, this rich uh, uh, tax collector, Zacchaeus, he, he has a ton of money. He has a ton of influence. Now, yes, many people do not like him, but he has a lot of money and influence. And he very readily, easily, joyfully gives it all up to follow Christ. 
So people don't understand the all-surpassing worth of Christ. Then of course, of course people will follow, hold on to, cling to, seek after the unstable riches of this world. Right? We have an, an all-surpassing treasure, gift in Jesus Christ. Not only in this world, but the world to come. So anything else in this life does not compare. <laughs> doesn't even compare. So when we show the value of Christ, just like as Zacchaeus saw it, that's why he gave his money away. That's why he so readily did it, joyfully did it. He saw a surpassing value of Christ himself, which the rich young ruler, like a mission, chapter 18, did not. You know, we as Christians, those of us who place our full allegiance and trust in Christ, we have a great treasure. Actually, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this in his letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 17, that's what the Apostle Paul says. He, said, he says this, As for the rich, talking about rich Christians, right? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Life, meaning Christ. So, number one, consider being hospitable. Number two, consider showing the great value of Christ. And number three, consider looking for response to grace in a person's life. Zacchaeus gave the ideal response to the grace in his life. He says that half of my riches I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, which by the way he has, he did defraud defraud people, he stole from people, he's a thief. I'll give them fourfold. He did not cling to his riches. <laughs> that response is an ideal response to grace in his life. It is so evident, so clear that God changed his heart. And you see it by his reaction. So in sharing the gospel and reaching out to others, Follow up. Not only do you ask for a response, ask them to respond to the gospel right then and there, say, what do you choose? Do you choose Christ? Or do you choose your own way? But also look in their life. Look for that fruit of salvation. Look for that response to grace in their life. That means you're going to have to follow up. That means you're going to have to build a relationship. That means you're going to have to keep up with the person. Don't give up on a person whether or not they say, hey, uh, uh, in a negative, say, hey, I reject the gospel. I reject the good news. Continue working on that person. And then also, likewise, they say, I accept Jesus Christ. Don't just pray with them and move on to the next person, right? <laughs> Invite them in community. Bring them into the church. We are saved out of this world into the church. Anyways, I'm going on a little tangent here, but the whole idea is to look for the response of grace in a person's life. So in closing, John Newton, like I mentioned, he spent many years as a pastor 
in England, caring for those of his congregation in only England. And actually, he was known not as a great preacher. <laughs> he wasn't that great of a preacher, John. But what, what he was known for was for caring for his sheep, for caring for his parishioners, for caring for the church. He spent numerous hours a day writing letters, responding to letters from people who reached out to him. He spent many hours uh, uh, being hospitable, inviting uh, uh, the needy into his house to live with him. He spent many hours, like I said, writing hymns for his church, his own congregation. Of course, he tirelessly tried to abolish slavery in the British Empire. By the grace of God, he was able to live to the day when slavery was abolished. Now, John Newton, he always celebrated the anniversary of his conversion, which occurred in March of 1748. Every year, he would mark that on his calendar, celebrate it, give thanks to God. Because he was overwhelmed that a holy God would show grace to a poor wretch like him. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. Let us pray.